train to go to Sugar Hill way up in You must take the A train to go to Sugar Hill way up in Harlem. If you miss the A train, you've missed the quickest way to Harlem. Hurry, get on board, it's coming. Listen to those rails and Welcome to the Retrogasmic Podcast. I'm Didi Deluxe. And I'm Hetty LeBomb. Welcome back. Uh, today's show, in case you hadn't already guessed, is dedicated to swing music and swing dancing. We opened the show with a fantastic track sung by the late, great Ella Fitzgerald, Take the A-Train, which was, uh, I suppose, made famous by the Duke Ellington Orchestra as an instrumental We've got music by Cab Calloway, Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman and of course the Andrews sisters. We are interviewing Rob Bloom who pretty much single-handedly caused the resurgence and revival of swing dancing in Australia and New Zealand in the uh, mid-90s and of course a call with our legendary roving reporter Winky. Now you've got a corker of a trivia question today I believe. Yes, related to the song we just heard, uh, what inspired Take the A-Train to be written? Does anybody know? So what inspired the song or what inspired the words? or What inspired the song? The song. Do you know, I don't actually know that one. Answers later on. Thank you. 
Key, where are you? Happy New Year! Happy New Year, where are you today? Right, so today, actually, I have just got home and I am exhausted. So, uh, am I thinking this is part of some uh, winky New Year's resolution? Have you started winky. some some kind of, are you going down the gym or are you joggling? J- joggling? Joggling. I was going to say juggling or <laughs> jogging and it came out as juggling. <laughs> That's a mental That's image. That's fantastic. No. Uh, no, I have actually just got home from my first ever dance lesson. A dance lesson. So I'm assuming, knowing your love of the, the vintage uh, scene, that you're doing... Uh, Swing dancing or rock and roll dancing or something? Well, you could call it rock and roll dancing, but let's just say when Winky's involved, nothing is quite as straight line as that. Okay. So my teacher said to me, right, we're going to teach you the foxtrot. The foxtrot, okay. The that's, fox that's quite a traditional dance, but I guess it's a good one to start with. Traditional, yeah. good to start with. Anyway, why do I need to learn the foxtrot? I mean, I don't like foxes. I mean, I think they're sweet and everything, but hang no, on, no, 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 hang no. On, hang on, you don't actually dance with the foxes. I mean, you, 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 know, you don't. The foxes aren't up on their back, their back legs with their paws out, expecting you to kind of you know, waltz them round the floor. Well, I thought it would a little bit be more fitting <laughs> if I was actually doing the flamingo trot. Ah, okay. Now I see where this is going. Now. You see where this is going. I, so. I do. So here I am, and let's face it, flamingos are up on two legs. It's true, they are, and they're, they're, they're nearer to human legs. height. Yeah, The human height, and so I have been learning in my own style the flamingo trot. So do and you want, do, do you know? Ex, oh. ex, explain it to us. How, how does this pan out? Right, well, basically, if you're a good fan of yoga, yeah. you stand very straight, very tall, because you have, you have to be when you're a flamingo, right? So you can see the world around you and you basically lift one leg up and you jump. Right. And then you put your leg down and you shuffle very quickly to the left. Yeah. And then you shuffle very quickly to the right. Right. And then you move your head and like, you know, side to side. Yeah. Because actually that's their mating call actually. So. Okay. I've been YouTubing this. I've I'm been still, researching I'm, this. I'm, st- I'm still laughing at the one, one leg jumping. I've got visions of you in a, a lovely vintage dress hopping around <laughs> on one leg. I'm sorry. I don't, the, the, I don't mean to laugh. At <laughs> the problem that I've got now, I have a problem now, yes, is that on. I have, in the process of jumping too much on one leg, yeah. sprained my ankle. Okay. So, yeah, but you know what? Who cares? Because when you're a flamingo, you've got to think pink. Yeah, and and you've got to be proud of what you're doing, and I am, and I look fantastic. My dancing teacher, yeah, yeah, not so not so into this actually. Well, not very, you know. It's, like, a, just it's look early at me. days, you know. You've got to start somewhere. We, these these are like your your fundamentals, your basics. I'm sure as you get more experienced, you'll move on through, and uh, you know. It might go yeah. beyond, beyond just one type of bird dance. You know, we might have some kind of, well, uh, you know, uh, bird, you know, like a golden eagle hop or a, I actually, a what swan about, shuffle. What, a, what about the uh, honky-tonk chicken? Oh, my gosh, I'm so hungry for Lone Star. Wow, that, even for you, that was a sideways jump. That was Lone a Star as in the oh. popular steakhouse. 
Oh my goodness! If anyone's ever been to Lone Star and had a honky tonk chicken, they oh, know I exactly see. It's a, what it's I'm a menu talking item. about. I thought it was a dance. Yeah, like the oh, funky well, chicken. It, well, it could. Oh, the funky chicken. Yeah. <laughs> well, that too. But no, no, I'm no. If anyone's working at Lone Star out there and fancies like bringing the winky some honky tonk chicken, okay. um, feel free. I'm we're, we're about Sawyer at the moment, and we'll we'll see who's nearest to you. I'm in Tiamutu. Okay. Is it on Uber Eats? I should go and have a look. See, I'm not into this Uber Eats stuff, but I should probably go and you have should. a look. Now, be, I am briefly, starving. Be, before, before we let you go and, and, and uh, uh, indulge in your chicken-based <laughs> repast, um, yeah. <laughs> tell us briefly, your, your, um, your lovely car is due back from the, uh, from the garage oh, soon, isn't it? Oh, she is, and her name is Myrtle, mm-hmm. and she's a 1955 Bellier, and she'll be coming home on Tuesday. So, um, that sounds yes. exciting. Well, next time we speak to you, we need a full rundown of uh, oh, the history yes. of Myrtle, where you got her from, what you've had done to her, you know, where you're going this year, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I tell you, I'll be going everywhere. Oh, oh, and just a quick mention on events, actually, went to QMU Hot mm-hmm. Rod Show on the weekend. And um, apart from being burnt like a lobster, shout out to all the people who uh, put the event on because it was huge. Yeah, it's it always was... a massive event. It's always quite well run oh. as well. Yeah. We always miss it because we're always playing somewhere else. <laughs> oh, it's just, honestly, I think we probably only got through a quarter of the, quarter of the actual event. That's what a lot there... of people said. It's so big yeah. they can't get around it in a day. You can't do it in a day. And it was so hot. And um, my poor partner, I had him all dressed up in his rockabilly shirt. He looked, we were actually matching. And a couple of people actually said to me, oh, you guys are matching outfits. I'm like, well, there you go. I finally, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. But anyway, Paul Scott was in a, a quite a thick denim shirt. Um, and, yeah, he just got to a point. He sat down. He says, I'm not doing any more. I'm out. So, um, was there a, yeah. Was there a beer on, on sale? Uh Jack Daniels, actually. Oh, dangerous. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, Look, Winky, not bad. Th- thank you for talking to us. We're looking forward to catching up with you and talking about Myrtle and um, oh, yes. hearing the progression on your bird-related dancing. <laughs> oh, well, just wait until I see you. I'll, you. You'll get a full rundown. We'll be all doing the flamingo trot oh, soon. Could be another video. Thanks, Winky. <laughs> see you later. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye-bye. And now, on with the show. Follow through. You get your study full. You make up the joint and jump with the like of the gators. 
Jones on the Jersey side. Hip hip. Hip hip. The chip chip jumping jive makes you a hip hip on the Mahala side. Giddily, 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 bumpity, giddily, giddily, bang, 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 da da da. Now I've told you about the jumping jive. Chip chip jumping jumping jive. You got to dig this mallow jive. Yes, yes, you dig it on the mallow side. Giddily, 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 boy. So today we're very lucky to have Rob Bloom with us. Thanks for being on the show, Rob. T- can you tell the uninitiated that are listening, which, to be honest, includes myself, a little bit about the, the swing dance scene in Australia and New Zealand and um, kind of how it suddenly kicked back into life in the, the mid-1995 kind of era? Yeah. 
Um, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Uh, the thing about swing is it's actually, as a name for a dance, it's an umbrella name. Yeah. And the dance I was particularly focused on when I got to Australia back in the mid-90s was one called the Lindy Hop. Uh-huh. Lindy, um, that had started uh, off the back of dances you'll have heard of called the Charleston and some very weird ones like the Black Bottom. These were dances that were coming up. They were all the rage. And every night of the week, as, as happened back here in the day, everyone would go out uh, dancing. And in uh, in New York, there was one particular ballroom. Uh, well, there were two ballrooms, but they're, they're very famous for having – uh, their big band orchestras playing. They were playing all types of music, but in particular the new jazz style that was coming through swing music. And people started to develop this dance. So this dance developed in about uh, late 1920s and uh, went on through the 30s. It was uh, rather acrobatic. It uh, had uh, these movements where people, they circled around each, each other and then came back into a closed hold or a, a position like that. Uh, it wasn't all... Um, uh, spins and and pushes and six counts they were using stun to use the full eight counts as we would talk in as dancers but the full four counts of the music so they were bringing it in uh, for um, music to make the bar and uh, a lot of acrobatic stuff started to be thrown in and then quite a lot of performance things were being thrown into their their dance uh, some of these were beginning to hit the other coast, the, the Hollywood coast, and they started to get into the movies, the black and white movies back then, um, as little strange scenes. Um, and the interesting thing was this was an African-American set of dancers, so black dancers were the ones who first picked these things up. So if I spin forwards, um, we went through the war years. It had uh, developed into dances that we all kind of know as the jitterbug. Yep. And then yep. through the 50s became dances that morphed into a, a lot of popular dances, but rock and roll. And as the music got faster again into rockabilly. So these were all coming from the same route in the dance that was back in the, the 20s. And in the meantime, this is a dance. Lindy Hop as a dance had died away. The uh, other things had happened and we got into rock and roll and we got into pop music. And then interesting stories that through the the late 80s, early 80s, some of these dancers were still around from pre-war and through the war who were the original Lindy Hop dancers. Wow. And that's really interesting. Um, we we know of three or four couples who came from other dancers, of course. They, they were into their ballroom or their Latin or their rock and roll or whatever. They were um, in one couple in Sweden, one couple in uh, the UK and one couple in the States on the West Coast. They all started looking at the old recordings uh, that were available. Um, we didn't have YouTube back then. They didn't have very much on on video, but these were captured from the old movies. And at around the same time that on the, the video machines began to have slow motion replay, we started to see a an evolution, a revival of this dance because it was actually quite an exciting dance. And people and could see it slowed down and, and deconstruct the moves. That's probably the trigger to um, the 80, late 80s revival. And certainly was, uh, I, what happened to me, it happens to a lot of people, your own, your first dance story, if you're not brought up as a kid dancing uh, because your parents go or because it's a thing that uh, is in your community. I was in my early 20s, I went to a ball and uh, there, were, there was a band playing, it was a great band, it was swing music, um, I recognised the style, but I didn't recognise what the dancing was. And I was dancing other dancers and I thought, 
wow, I've got to do that. I really, have, you know. Was that, this was this um, back in London? Because uh, I'm, I'm guessing your, your accent gives you away. Yes, like yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> out of the UK. So um, I I saw that. I got into. I found out where it was on. Where did you learn that? I did all the questions. I was brave enough to ask. Got hooked uh, with this style. I, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, London had an up-and-coming scene. There was a lot of live music, as you know, it's one of those things that tends to drive these sorts of um, vintage-style dances. Is the live music, and uh, there was a lot of that, of course, in London. And then, just to finish the story on on my part, I took a job in Sydney and uh, moved. And I only moved, I thought, for a year or two. It ended up being four years. But even in those first few weeks, I was searching around for who else did this dance. Surely it was here. And uh, it wasn't. And, and I had a great time dancing with some rock and roll people I I'm, you know, met, in, met at various places. But that uh, there's a couple of key moves that you do in Lindy Hop that aren't in those other dances. They tend to have been lost, these sort of circular dances and the Charleston steps. So I started that up. And that's really been the trigger for uh, what has been... Um, a big thing in Australia. It's, it's certainly in Melbourne, Sydney, and Perth. They're massive, really big scenes. They're not as established as rock and roll or rockabilly scenes, but um, there were a thousand dancers a week going through Melbourne at one point wow. uh, through classes. It was big, um, and it wasn't necessarily aimed at the young kids. We were seeing a mixed age. And then for uh, New Zealand, um, I'd come over here because I have family here, and I was uh, teaching a few uh, things and uh, did uh, a couple of workshops with a, a friend from Australia who came over as well. But then, like myself, a lady called Michelle, Michelle Stoop, came back from the UK and thought, oh, where is it here? And so she actually started up a club called, uh, a school called Jitterbugs. And that's really been the genesis of uh, the swing dancing that's spread through uh, New Zealand.
I'm guessing that uh, the, the the swing scene worldwide is one of those things that um, a lot of people don't realise exists. But once you get involved in it, it's actually. I mean, we've we've become involved in it via the, the the rock and roll and rockabilly scene, and you you know quite often you'll see the uh, you know people looking up and dance, and the rock and roll dancers do their kind of their, their their three step thing or whatever it is, and then you'll get a couple get up and everybody just moves out of the way, and you, and, well, and it's like okay, that's the swing dancers, and it's yeah, well, it's, yeah it's, you might it's, be saying we dance a little big, but yes, I get it. Yeah, and, and it's always it's it's always more impressive not being in any way detrimental to the other guys that we see dancing, they look like they're having more fun. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not, it, it, it's, it seems to be a more, um, a more kind of expressive, uh, and, and also uh, with, with some of the other dance styles we've seen, and again, I'm, I mean this completely respectfully, um, the, the other dance things that the the dancers do their thing and it's learnt and there's some great dancers out there but the swing dancers and the lindy dancers that the two of them dancing together seems to produce something which is greater than the sum of the parts if that doesn't sound too kind of weird i i, I love that you've picked up on that of course i think uh the dancing for swing dancing is made up of three things um which all come together they are uh, the lead and the follow and how they dance together and how they connect. And then there's uh, the music and how uh, you interpret, if, if at the basic level, how you interpret that rhythm. But then the sum of the parts is dancing to the music, which is a really hard thing for people who've, to understand who've only been dancing, swing dancing for, or any dance even, for only even a year or two. Certainly people who are new to a dance wouldn't get it. But um, that idea that if you have musicians who are playing with the music or altering their, their, um, what they're doing in their section, it's not all about the rhythm. It could be the, the way the voice is, um, that comes in the vocal might be a little bit uh, late in or it might be early on its music, on, it, on its beat. Then that gives an opportunity um, for the dancers to try and interpret that and have fun with it and yeah. be Absolutely. Part of the, mu- yeah, part no, of the music. Absolutely. I mean, we've we've noticed that uh, when we've done a. I mean, sometimes if we're playing and you get a, a good bunch of dancers get up, we'll let we'll extend the song because we want those guys to get the most out of the, the song, and, and it's fun for us to kind of be part of, you know. And as you say, if if we put in some hits or some accents or something like that, you can almost guarantee the good dancers the next time round, you know, the next bar round, they've already picked up on that and they're, they're accentuating it. And that's, I mean, that's fantastic. That's like jamming with another musician almost. Love, love that you feel that as musicians. It's great for us to, to hear that. Uh, I think the one difference, if I could pick on it, between that and some of the other dancers is that the, um, the lead and follow is not, in the dance, is um, not driven constantly by the lead. It's not, it doesn't have to be, move after move after move so there's that space and that's what that circular bit of the the dance does that swing out allows some space for improvisation we see it a little bit in another dance i don't know if you've come across it called west coast swing which is done to more modern music it's an an, another child of this dance Uh, those dancers don't tend to go out to live music because it's uh, all all done to the hits of the day. Hits from you know a regular beat. Yeah. It's hits from the past. That idea of being able to play in the music through that eight count, it, it gives the dancers, the lead and the follow, more time to play and interpret 
the music and play off each other. So this the the swing out, if you like, on the dance, where the where the kind of the I'm trying to be mechanical about this, but the the, the centripetal force makes the dancers come apart, and then they reach the extent of the connection, and then there's almost like a little moment of reset where they come back in and it gives them time to think and interpret what's going to happen next. Is that, is that, is that kind of, am I getting near to? That's, that's right, but we actually have longer. It's really only uh, the initiation at the start and the little bit where you come together, where you are most likely locked into something that's a set pattern. Anything on the way in or the way out of that centrifugal moment is an opportunity to play. Got you. Fantastic. So um, you've mentioned the West Coast swing, or I've, I've heard it um, from a music point of view referred, referred to as, as Western swing. I've heard the term slow swing, obviously jitterbug, lindy hop. What other kind of permutations are there within the style? Uh, so that this, they come under the family of swing. And I've got to say, when I got to Australia and, and here, um, there were those dance, those things that have been evolved through classes and schools slow swing, western swing, uh, jitterbug, they all had a name. Uh, there was something called fast swing I see in competitions in, in Australia. They were something, but they weren't the Lindy Hop. Um, so they all, they were, if I, I could dance with those dancers, but I was still missing these two core elements, the the Charleston. Do you, you know, that's an eight-count step. I'm sure you can visualize the 1920s, that Charleston step. So, that so that's can be lots, done. lots of movement from the knees, I seem to remember, because they've got the narrow skirts, yeah? That's right. Um, the back and forth, um, uh, almost like a um, like a salsa movement. Yes. Yeah. But uh, that can be done face-to-face, or it can done, be done in parallel with uh, a lead in, in front of the follow or follow in front of the lead. It can be done uh, as a traveling pattern from side to side. And that wasn't in those other dances. And I think that that's one of the things that makes a difference between Lindy Hop and the, the other members of the swing family. And that other one is the one we've just talked about, the swing out and all its variations uh, didn't tend to be in there. I've seen a six count thing that's done. And that's a, a variation that seemed to be the only piece that remained um, from the, from those early days uh, that is still in Australia or New Zealand's uh, from that, that other family, the competition family that's, kept going now uh, from, there are probably some other names some, of dances but i can't pick them <laughs> okay if i'm if i'm understanding what you're saying it's it's just putting a semantic on different aspects of what effectively is is the same dance so, yes it is so. the, the 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 thing that tends to help swing dances the people that i dance with is the music okay uh, and there's it's, there's been a couple of things that have happened so in the states um lindy hop swing dancing exploded with a couple of uh, and, and it was in every bar uh, right through um, from one coast to the other through the early 90s there was um, an ad on TV for Gap jeans with Lindy Hop uh, the, the young kids in that had t-shirts and jeans and they were they were doing some some uh, Lindy Hop movements and that was captured and it was really done very very well and that that exploded the uh the interest in um in the dance that's so that's one thing that's got a, a volume of people going into this revival um certainly in australia there was uh, something called so you think you can dance i think that was the title um a show on uh on tv and a couple of lindy hoppers from melbourne 
got in on that, and uh, that gave some exposure and really drove uh, numbers up around Australia. Like all of these niche things, it just takes like a fortuitous, you know, just something to suddenly pop into the, the, the public eye and kick it off, I guess. It is. And I was taught, yeah, I got into that by saying about the music. So a lot of, uh, uh, through the 90s, and, and you'll recognize this, uh, there was um, a sound the musicians started playing. They were playing something that sounded like or, or felt like swing. Um, it got a name called Neo Swing, a driving, hard, almost a rockabilly sound to the to yeah. the swing music. Yeah. Cherry Poppin' Daddies and, and various. Uh, it's dropped out of favor. Most people like to dance to jazz swing's original feeling of the jazz so it's um back to a lighter more playful less driving form of the music it might might be upbeat but it's not as, as driving in that rhythm so that also leads to this kind of dance being danced if you've um if you're out listening to cherry pop and daddies or the the equivalent kind of uh, music you'll see a mix of people up who are dancing their own you know their their rockabilly might be uh, an easy style to dance to that Chicago way. He had a boogie style that no one else could play. He was a top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. They made him blow a bugle for his Uncle Sam. It really brought him down because he couldn't jam. The captain seemed to understand. Because the next day the cap went out and drafted a band. And now the company jumps. When he plays Reveille, he's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. A toot, a toot, a toot de a toot de blows it into the bar. In boogie rhythm, he can't blow a note unless a bass and guitar is playing with him. He makes a company jump when he plays Reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. He was a boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. So um, let's kind of 
be a bit practical and, and try and talk about some of the, the benefits of, of you know if, if someone was out there thinking you know I want to I've got to do something I've got to get away from a desk and driving in the car and just sitting around and keep thinking oh maybe I should take up dancing that would be fun you know it'd be a bit of cardio um are there any is there an age limit or anything that you've got to watch because the, the Lindy stuff does seem to be you know it's up on the toes and uh, I can't imagine anyone doing that if they weren't at least basically fit um is there a way of people easing in if they've never done anything before well I think all the classes I've observed are um, right around New Zealand have exactly that it doesn't start at the hard stuff it starts at the the ease stuff and it starts with the slower music and and it starts genuinely by being fun and that's probably where the hook comes for most people that was great music i I don't remember that or i remember listening to that back in the day but that was a really fun thing to do that's great so uh, most of the classes i've seen around auckland in wellington christchurch dunedin um, even the up-and-coming ones in nelson and um Napier, um, Tauranga. Um, I've started to see the classes start up in in um, Manoa too. They all start from that fun piece, and you'd want that for any dance class, to be honest. But uh, in terms of basic fitness, I've seen it's actually interesting. It tends to reflect the the age or the outlook of the teachers who are there. So if you have a um, young teachers, you tend to get a, a young crowd, but I've seen a wide range of age, and I'm, um, I know that uh, the oldest dance is actively dancing Lindy Hop. So going out to all the socials are in their 70s. Wow, fantastic. The and they've come from other dances, so, and they, they, you know, they've obviously got a, uh, felt a love for this particular dance. Uh, they dance another dance as well called Balboa, which is also back from that time, which is a, a little bit like salsa, but without, um, without the hip movement and it's in close hold the whole time and as a result you can do extremely fast music without getting too tired uh-huh. so it's uh, like cheats way to dance but it's a beautiful dance in its own right and so you see um from young right through to old you you talked uh, earlier about the the emergence of this from the the big band post first world war um, and the kind of the um, Afro-American culture. Uh, is there anyone that's kind of credited with uh, being the, the, the you know the driver of, of the swing style dancing originally? I mean, I, I, I'm a huge fan of kind of uh, as re- retro movies as you as you'd imagine, and I, I, I'm I'm not a, a dance expert, but people like the Clark Brothers. Does that ring? So, so were they from TAP? I don't know the, the Clark brothers, but there are some really famous names that have kind of become revered amongst um, amongst our dancers. Uh, and Frankie Manning is one of the names. Oh, yes, I know that. Uh, so, these, so these are uh, – there are, there are some names. Uh, they are the original 20 or so dancers who started things up in the ballroom, most of whom passed away, but um, many of them came through in the 80s to um, – to, uh, be, uh, they were brought out of retirement. They were found, and they were helped to uh, to to teach people what they remembered about these moves. And the thing about a guy called Frankie Frankie Manning is he happened to stay dancing till he was in his nineties, wow. and he went to Australia twelve times in a row. Uh, he tra- he was out of uh, New York. Um, he travelled forty something weekends a year. Um, after a while, he would just sit there and not dance so much. But uh, the thing about 
the personality that's that's really helped us from from Frankie is his storytelling. So he would tell us about how things evolved. So you about get the, you get the context, yeah, and the fun with the musicians and the travel with the musicians, and you get a whole lot more about what was going on back there, and uh, that carried through to today. So um, Frankie's one of the the, the, the big names the heroes, that we yeah. revere, if you like, um, and we connect with. Uh, we have his uh, videos. We we have his um, uh, the workshops that he went to. Plus all the people, you know, it's it's a, a big industry now. All the going around the world and teaching. It's it's probably in the hundreds of professional teachers who go out to different uh, workshops in cities around the world and are, are employed to to teach. It's become a big thing. Um, just to to kind of uh, to, to wrap up. I mean, the, the reason this podcast exists is because there is a huge vintage scene worldwide there's a very big vintage scene considering how small the country is in new zealand and the same in australia um but it's very much in little pockets you know you've got your rock and roll dancers and you've got your swing dancers and you've got even within the vintage dancing community and where do you see i mean do you see um a bit more of a a mix and match and and everything merging together as we move forwards um you know where where do you see the scene from your viewpoint in maybe you know five or ten years well i see i i see it remaining a little bit fractured actually because there are some and i don't mean that in a bad way there are there are people who are really into uh the what vintage means as a as a culture uh, whether it's the body art or the clothing or the cars uh, going to Napier for Art Deco, uh, that side of things. There are lots of people. The vintage shops. That's a you know I, you see that. Uh, there are probably the ones coming through who are, who are hooked by that. But I would say the majority of people are come in their t-shirt and, and jeans or they're in their work clothes, and have uh, just hooked by the the fun of a what se- what seemingly a really nice social. Bit of exercise. So it's kind of a part a part time interest rather than a lifestyle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, I'd, I'd I'd agree with that. Look, Rob, it's been absolutely fascinating. I I have to put my hand up and say I didn't really know much about the scene at all. And the more I'm digging, and uh, it, it, it's fascinating. And it, and it, you know, I'm I'm very very tempted if I wasn't working twenty seven hours a day to go and do you some are lessons. Yeah, well, look, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate, it. and um, everyone I spoke to when I when we were saying we need to talk to someone in the swing community, literally everybody said talk to Rob. So I really appreciate you giving up your time. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Rob. Bye bye. Okay, time for the vintage trivia answer. What inspired uh, Duke Ellington's "Take the A Train"? Well, this is an interesting story. Um, Take the A-Train wasn't actually written by Duke Ellington. It was written by Billy Strayhorn, who was a longtime collaborator of Duke. He was a a pianist and composer and arranger. And um, Duke Ellington asked Billy to move to New York, and he sent him directions. And the first directions he sent were, take the A-Train. So the A-Train... Um, is actually a subway train that runs um, from Brooklyn down to Harlem down to, uh, I think, northern Manhattan, um, which I took when I was visiting in New York a few years ago. And, yes, I had the tune running through my head as, <laughs> as, um, as I was riding it. Yes. And then later on, uh, lyrics were written to that tune, which we heard earlier 
sung by the incredible Ella Fitzgerald. But yes, it's uh, it's directions to Duke Ellington's house. Wow, so basically, I mean, if that would be nowadays, it would be me saying, saying, get off the motorway at uh, you know, Junction 4 and go south down East Coast Road. I mean... Wow. Yeah, well, if you can add, <laughs> if you can add a nice tune to that, you could write a hit. That's that's fantastic. I didn't know that. Brilliant. And that brings another show to an end. Thank you once more to Rob for giving up part of his busy day to talk to us, for Winky for uh, stepping into reality for five minutes to talk to us, and from me and Hetty, thank you very much for listening. If you're doing the iTunes thing, please leave us a review. It does really help us, and if you're listening on one of the many other podcast download and streaming services share it with your, with your friends because without listeners we can't exist That's Thank, right. thanks a lot we appreciate it see you soon bye Retro-gas.